0: Bo, the centerpiece of Parshat Bo is Parshat HaKodesh, Um, and uh, you have Parshat HaKodesh in front of you on page one, both in Hebrew and English, and um, we run into into this problem all the time in studying Torah, but we run into this problem especially, the more well-known a parasha is, we run into this logjam, which is, we don't fully appreciate its impact on the original audience, because we know it so well, and we're the omniscient reader stepping aside, so we know that Bnei Israel is about to leave Egypt and be redeemed and never come back and all of that, and therefore we kind of assume that everybody else knows it. I mean, if we know it, and we're all this way later, 3,000 plus years later, certainly they knew it. But we gotta keep, We got to keep in mind, what did they actually know? And the cr- reason that's critical is because this Korban Pesach is presented here originally as a one-shot deal, as a one-off. You do it this year and that's it. And at towards the end of that presentation, we're then told that you're going to be celebrating this holiday uh, in, as a commemorative thing later on, but we're not told about the Korban Pesach being part of that. So it seems the Korban Pesach is a one-shot deal. And so how do the people perceive what this is about mm-hmm. and what it, what it means, what it's supposed to affect? how they're supposed to understand, with what the symbolism, why particular details. And so I'd like to look at it through their eyes, because that will also perhaps help explain the following. You take a look on page one, and you see, I could, not could, but it would be tiny print, to recreate the entire passage. The paracute bet is very long, and it's paracute bet plus the beginning of paracute gimbal is all kind of one, not flow, it's one zigzag. Because here you have the 20 psukim of Parsha Achodis in front of you, and it's details about law. It's really the first halachic parsha in the Torah, and that's the famous Rashi that the Torah should have started it. You turn the page, and on top I have a note that following that there are several narrative pieces: the narrative piece about Makat B'Cherot, the narrative piece about the Israel leaving, uh, meaning moving out from Ramses to Sukkot. And then there's another legal section, which is another repetition, or another piece, a repetition about the laws of Korban Pesach. But here there's something put in which is Lid doro techem, and suddenly we find out, although we were there was a little hint to this in one of the narrative passages, that we were going to be doing this in future generations. But here it's full on. So part of the question is why isn't that given earlier? Why isn't that part of the earlier piece? Also, what what's the value added here? What piece is added in here? That wasn't there before. So I'd kind of like to to look at that, look at the flow of the things here through the eyes of Beni Yisrael and how they're as they're hearing things. Now, what is it that Beni Yisrael know about korbanot? The answer is we have no idea. It could be that they are very familiar with animal sacrifices um, and other sort of ritual things they've seen in Egypt. It could be that they have their own sacrifices they bring that we don't know about. We don't we don't have a clue, but one thing that we do know is that there is a very famous story that I'm willing to bet the people were familiar with, even in general terms, that's part of the national history and national tradition that involves the Korban. So I want you to picture, here you are, B'nai Yisrael, in Mitzrayim. You've been watching the Egyptians get smacked around really badly. Very likely, the servitude may have stopped, certainly the harshness of the servitude stopped. You may be kind of in a waiting pattern to see how things are going to play out. You may still be doing work. We don't know, but um, Moshe has told Paro Makat Paro is coming. We don't know if they know it's coming. So let's read through this parsha quickly and get a sense of how the Bnei Yisrael would be hearing this and what it would mean to them. <laughs> Now, by the way, Moshe and Aaron are not told to pass that on to Menei Yisrael. That seems to be for the leadership. You know that this is the first month. (laughs) This is what you got to tell them. So on the 10th of this month, everybody should take in a lamb into the house. Lamb or goat. So, if your household is too small, then you join with another family. Okay. Now, as far as we're concerned, and as far as they're concerned, that could be what the norm is. Maybe they would only use male animals. Maybe they only use young animals, yearlings. Maybe animals have to be without blemish. We're going to find out later, of course, that that's part of our legal system. Could be that they're used to that. Now, you're going to hold it in your house for four days. Now, that's the first thing that you hear that strikes you as a little weird, which is, everybody shechts it. How can everybody shecht it? Now, the truth is, we understand it's distributive. It means, you got one, and you got one, and you got one, and everybody's going to shecht their one, and yet the language is a little bit Funny. It should have been veshachat otam, or veshachat oto, but there's the plural and the singular mixed together. Little hint of something a little strange going on. We'll get back to it. All right. So what are they supposed to do? Supposed to take the dam and put it on the doorposts and on the house. Now at this point, I would stop and say, okay, if they're familiar from either from Egyptian practices or from what they've heard about Canaanite practices or what they may even have knowledge of basic Torah rules, maybe, that when you bring a korban, you have to put the dam on the mizbeach. There's no mizbeach. It's a household, so we'll use the doors. That's a substitute. Very good. Maybe. But then you get this, a little bit later about the dam. Interesting thing. You have to eat it with matzan maror. You have to eat it, and you have to do it with matzah maror. This is new, new information. got to figure out what that's about. Al menu mashal mushal maim ki'im mashal It can't be raw, it can't be cooked, it has to be roasted in the fire. And it has to be entire. The whole thing has to be there, roasted in the fire. Now there's a lot of powerful symbolism that's coming across here. And again, we don't know what they're contrasting it with. We don't know what they're familiar with. Maybe all offerings that they've seen are the entire animal. Or maybe in their offerings the animals cut up, and therefore to be different than the, we don't know. But taken as a blank, and all we know of is what we actually have in the Torah, we have to wonder what this is about. By the way, this is, the one. what's the one korban that they would have in national history that would be of great significance to them? The one that they would know, oh yes, that happened centuries ago in our family, and it was of great significance. Akedat Yitzchak. And what kind of korban was Akedat Yitzchak? Was an Ola, all burned up. So this seems to be saying, well, you're going to sort of start it the same way and you're going to end it the opposite way, which is to eat it all up. And you got to eat it up all up so much that if your family is too small to eat it up, you have to join with another family. Right? You can't leave anything over till the morning, means you've got to eat it up all at night. You can't leave it over in the morning. There's the fire again. Fire, fire, fire. And how are you supposed to eat it? Sitting on your suitcases, basically. So you eat it hastily because it's a Pesach. Well, what does that mean? Those two things don't fit. You eat it hastily because it's a Pesach. And if you take Pesach the way that we traditionally understand the word, which means passing over. That means you're going to stay in your houses and you may not leave because outside is dangerous, as we're going to hear in a moment, which means why are in suitcases? It makes sense. This is the news that they maybe didn't know. I'm going to pass through tonight. I'm going to smite every firstborn, animal, people. I'm going to attack all of the gods of Egypt. Egypt. Now that blood that you're putting on the door, which up till now we may have thought was standing in lieu of the Mizbeach, is suddenly going to be a sign. There's that Pesach. I'm going to see the dam and I will Pesach over you, which could mean pass over you, or perhaps I will protect you. I'll hover over and protect you. And you won't have any damage happen because the dam will be on the door. Alright, now I'm trying to figure out what is this offering about. Alright? From here to the end, there are several formulations of this holiday being a permanent holiday. Holiday, but not mention of the Corbin. Uh, the Isur of chametz, uh, the mitzvah of Matzah, um, later on we find out about Haggadah. But these things are are brought in here as a permanent in the future, Barishon, Bar-basa, in The first month, on the fourteenth, and you can't own chometz, and you and you can't own chometz, and you must eat matzah. But um, uh, but there, again, there's nothing about the Quran. Pesach, it's a little bit difficult to figure out what is what is going on here. You are a member of Israel. You hear these commands. What do you do with them? How do you understand these commands? So let's go back to the very first Korban, and the only one that we know of, well, we assume <coughs> that they had familiarity with, which is the olah, which was in place of Yitzchak. that Yitzchak, right? Krumah, krumah, place That's in place of, uh, of Yitzchak. As far as they know, taking that picture, what do they know about a Korban? What is a Korban? A Korban is a stand-in. I'm supposed to die but I got a break and I've got an animal that gets to stand in for me and dies in its place by the way that's not crazy that's the Ramban the famous Ramban at the beginning of Ayikra where he quotes the Rambam's thing about Korbanot and he rips it apart he's very upset at it and he says the Korban really is an act of chesed you should be on the Mizbech you have to picture yourself as if you're on the Mizbech and according to Baruch did a chesed allowed you to put the animal way to do smichab with all of your energy you kind of transfer your energy to the animal and the whole the whole symbolism of it <clears throat> if that's the case, then what are B'nai Yisrael told, they're going to do a korban, and how might they interpret the korban? This korban is a korban in lieu. In lieu of what? Well, let's remember, what does he say after he gives all the laws of this korban, what am I going to do that night? I'm going to come through Mitzrayim, and I'm going to kill every b'chor. doesn't say every Egyptian b'chor. I'm going to kill every b'chor. So who's on the hot seat? The, our Bechorot are on the hot seat. And I'm going to rank it up a little bit, ramp it up a little bit further. Maybe we're all on the hot seat because what was the first thing that Hashem told Moshe to tell Paro? Three big words B'ni, Bechori, Yisrael. is my Bechor, which means all of them, Yisrael's under threat. So all of them, is under threat. And Baruch Hu says, I'm going to come through and wipe out all the Bechorot. And so therefore, this Korban becomes a it um, becomes like a <coughs> protection. It becomes an in-, in lieu And then the doors play a different role. The doors are not the mizbeach, The doors are the marker. It says, okay, here we've got a korban. This is a safe house. All right, we've already slaughtered our bachor There's the dam. Okay. And notice the phrasing here is l'ot. What does lachem laot mean? Machem laot. What does that mean? So the, the literal translation, it's a sign for you. So a sign for you, we understand, by the way, where did they put the dhamma, the inside or the outside? They put on the inside. On the inside, lachem la'ot, just like the film lachal la'ot. And yet, lachem la'ot may be, with not much stretching, interpreted as a sign on your behalf. It's like, this is your sign. OK, this is our, our dam. We're good. OK, you go to the next slide. And so they could easily, and they have reason to interpret it that way. That's piece one. But there's another component to what they're hearing here, which would give the korban, and not only in place of it, it would give it extra texture. It would give it another, another meimad here, another dimension. Notice that there is an emphasis in the halachot here about fire. It has to be tzli Hence, the ashes is mentioned twice. And then you're not allowed to leave anything over. And what happens if you leave it over? You have to burn it. Ba There's a real emphasis on fire here. Now, fire represents a whole lot of things. But explicitly in the Torah, both in Sefer Dvarim and in Sefer Melachim and in Sefer Yirmiyahu, Mitzrayim is called a kur ha-barzel. It's called an iron furnace, like a crucible that you were formed in. So in other words, we've experienced the fire. Now, whether the Israel saw it that way, but they have been living through two generations of terrible servitude and harsh servitude, so they very likely did understand it, and now it's like a culmination with fire. How do I know it's a culmination? Well, there's several symbolic acts you're supposed to do here which seem to state that we're done. Now, it could be that, again, that servitude is over. It could be that at least they're on hiatus while Mitzrayim recovers. could be not. What are the statements that they're done? Well, One statement that they're done is sit on your suitcases. Another statement that they're done is that you're supposed to eat it with matzah and maror. Why matzah and maror? So the simplest explanation is because remember we're not. This is a couple weeks in advance, so you can hardly say, "Well, they have to eat with matzah because there won't be time for stuff to rise." Make it now. You got two weeks for it to rise. It'll <laughs> be moldy by right then. Mm-hmm. Elam matzah, the Ibn Ezra explains, the Matzah was the food that the Mitzrim fed us as slaves, which is nagadah mm-hmm. Halach And Maror, of course, is very maror So what am I telling you to do with this Korban Pesach? Eat the experience. As in other words, you now have control over the experience. The experience of the bitterness and the slavery is over. And so they could understand it that way given these particular halachot, which means you can understand it as a korban in lieu of, it could be it could be as the korban of fire, you couldn't see it as both, because truth is both elements are there. And that's really all that exists at this point. And then we have the narrative. Makat they travel, they get to the Sukkot, they're on the first stop, and then they get these. That suddenly tell them there's going to be Korban Pesach in the future and the Dorotechem. You're supposed to do the Korban Pesach. And listen to the words and tell me which biblical character comes to mind. Who are you going to hear when you hear these words? We have the English on the left. Now, called Eved Ish being not is already a little bit of a giveaway. That's a lotish bruvo, and that's a halachad lachalim l'dorot that you can't break a bone of the pesach; it has to be entire, it has to be complete. However, that Yisrael It's not word ger, and this is the first time that that mention of a ger shows up, which in Bamidbar is all over the place. Who immediately comes to mind when you hear these words? I don't know about you, but I hear Avraham being screamed all over the place. Mikanat Kesa first shows up in the context of Avraham in Perakid Zainab when Hashem gives him the command of Brit Milan and says to him. That if you have an Ish, not kesep, you have to do Brit Milah on him. Right? So and if somebody's born in the house or somebody's purchased, Neved, has to Brit Milah. The whole issue of Brit Milah, that's Avraham. The the, probab- the problem with an arel that's all Avrahamic stuff. So let's go back to Avraham and see if there's something else going on with this Korban Pesach that we should be thinking of. We talked about the Akedah. But remember, here, there's a big thing about fire. Remember, at this point in the proceedings, there's new information from Israel that they did not know, at least we don't have any reason to think they knew, back when they were in the house that night with all hell breaking loose outside, and they're safe inside. At that point, when they were inside the houses, what did they think was going to happen the next morning? That we don't know. They have no reason to think that they're leaving. Basically, it's the next Makkah. And just like smart people kept their animals in the house for Barad, so smart people are putting blood on the doors and protecting themselves. Makkah Pachorot. Okay, it's the granddaddy of Makot, but it's just another Makkah. No reason to think that anything's happening tomorrow. Suddenly, the next morning, we're told, we're getting out of town. Take your stuff and go. For how long, by the way? for three days, and then we see what happens with that. But you're leaving. On the way out, at the first stop in Sukkot, Hashem gives Moshe's mitzvot, and suddenly we have mitzvot about the future with all of this Avraham connection. So I know some Avraham stories. I'm in the family. I'm not a stranger. And in in the family, I know the story of the Akedah. I also know the story of something else. There's another very, very deep vision and promise that was given to Avraham. My great, 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 great grandfather. Right? However many greats. He was really great. What was the promise? It was called brief Benemeterim. Now, what did brief Benemeterim look like? So keep in mind that the Torah will often draw two things together to contrast them. So you suddenly look at them in relief against each other and you see the difference. What did Brit Benavatim look like? What was ben Bhavatim? How did it start? Hashem said, take those animals and do what with them? Cut them in half. Put them here. And then you're gonna stand there. And what what goes, what stands with Avraham as the breed happens? Tanur Ashan V'Lapid, Esh. Fire and smoke. That's the breed. Fire and smoke, that's the breed. And what is the breed? The breed is. Bottom of the page. Yadoa tzedaki ger yezarach, ger yezarach, ger that's the word. Your kids are going to be strangers, and they're going to be oppressed, and they're going to be afflicted for a long time. And I'll judge the people. Oh, I'm starting to see that happen in front of me. They're judged. And you will leave with a lot of wealth. Yeah, we just got some gold and silver from our neighbors. Pretty cool. It's starting to fit in. And suddenly I realize this korban that we just did last night, and that we're now told we're going to do every year, Maybe the completion of the circle that was begun with Brit Ben How does it close the circle? Brit Ben what were we told to do? Cut the animals in half. What are we told to do here? Keep the animal whole. You're not allowed to break a bone. Where did Brit Ben happen? Outside. This, you have to be inside the house. But similar to Brit Ben there's a strong element of fire that courses through it. Brit Ben is all about fire, And fires all over this Korban. And whatever is left over has to be burned. One other component to it is, the animal has to be entire, and it has to be all consumed, and you can't leave any behind. And if you leave it behind, it has to be burnt up and destroyed. (coughs) What's going to happen to B'nai Yisrael? They're all going to be gone. None of them can stay behind and maybe this is a remez to the Haggadah that the people did stay behind are punished. But we leave as a unit. This is not a broken up. So it's as if at B'rit B'nai B'tarim, there's a shattering that goes on. And this is the night that the shattering comes together. And that every year we're told to reenact that, that conclusion of B'rit B'nai B'tarim. And as we said numerous times here, B'rit B'nai B'tarim, as we discover in history, and we say it explicitly, in the Haggadah is not a one-shot deal it's a historic pattern we say it Shiloh we don't just reenact the conclusion we start from the beginning we start got from the beginning yeah and no, i'm saying we're not only reenacting the conclusion exactly the because the reality is that that cycle goes throughout history so either we're celebrating a pesach because we've again come through that cycle and we've again come home and ayen ezra perakim when they the first thing they do is the korban pesach when they return it's not Ezra himself, he's not alive yet, but when they return, it's recorded there. Or we're doing it to commemorate that cycle. What happens when there really is a separation and we return? The first thing we do is Korban Pesach. What did Chizkiyahu do, Big Gadol, after he got rid of the, the Bamot? Korban Pesach. What did Yoshiahu do after he cleared out the Bamot? Korban Pesach. What was the first thing he brought in by Cheney? Korban Pesach. It's the return, and then every year is the commemoration of bringing those shattered pieces together. So here we are, B'nai Yisrael and Mitzrayim, and we're hearing these mitzvot and getting these details and then experiencing it. What, what do we feel we're experiencing? We're experiencing something of a personal, of a communal, and a historic significance. On a, personal signific- on a personal level, I should have died, and this is in, in place. On a communal significance, this is the fire of our experience. We are now controlling our experience. We're now leaving. And on a historic level, this is the culmination of a hundreds-year, hundreds-year wait to see the conclusion of B'rit Ben Abba And of course, what they don't know, but we'll find out over history, is that it's a cycle that is going to repeat and that we're again going to be gear. The Ger that's mentioned here, the, milah, the or the the all of this are bringing us back to Abraham and connecting us with preparatory